Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Friday seems like it was a long time coming, even though it's been a holiday week, but we are here and we have news to talk about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. Welcome Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston. I know you're all like full of energy on Friday because it's Friday, right? Yay! Yeah. Yay! <laughs> all right, good. I was worried you were going to go, <laughs> you grumble, grumble. Let's go. With more people driving efficient cars, gas tax collections in Ohio are predicted to drop. And ODOT is now looking at ways to generate the revenue needed to maintain Ohio roads. Laura, this is a bit of a surprise story because there was so much pushback on Mike DeWine for raising the gas tax a couple of years ago. So what are some of the options for replacing that gas tax or, I guess, increasing it? Right. I, I did not see this coming. And this is ODOT putting this out. They have a whole website on what they could possibly be doing. And they keep saying, okay, we're not doing this. It's not coming in this budget cycle. We're just studying it. Right. But I had no idea what dire circumstances we were going to be in because of the fact that we're all driving more efficiently, which is great, but there's less money coming in to fix the roads. So the ideas are to raise the gas tax another 10 cents. This would cost the average driver around $42 a year. Raise vehicle registration fees, so they've put out an example of a $50 a year hike, and or get rid of the tax completely and instead tax motorists based on how many miles they drive in Ohio each year, tracked by devices placed in Ohioans' vehicles. Apparently, that's a pilot program mm. in other places already, but that is kind of a mind-blowing idea mm. when you – I just can see a whole array of people being really – angry that the government wants to put something in their cars to track mm -hmm. where they're going, right? But one thing I found out in this story, I had no idea that if you had a hybrid or an electric vehicle that you are being charged more for your registration fee every year, $100 for hybrid, $200 for electric cars, basically to make up for this gas tax that you're not buying as much gas. But so it costs you more every year uh, if you have an electric vehicle than it does if you've got a regular gas yeah. puzzler. But the idea is they're not paying to upkeep the roads. There are a lot of environmental types that say that's a bad policy because we should encourage people to get hybrid cars and, and efficient cars. So you shouldn't charge that fee as part of an inducement. But they do have to take care of the roads. There are a couple of things about this that, that will have to be discussed. One is passenger cars do not do anywhere near the damage to the roads as heavy trucks. So if this becomes a use tax based on the miles you drive, there should be different rates because our little cars don't tear up the roads like the trucks. The other thing is you better not get billed for the miles you're driving on the turnpike because you're paying for those already. Well, that makes a lot of sense, right? And you'd have to figure out that when you go outside of Ohio, you're not you're being charged, right? So this can't be straight like based on your odometer. Uh, it, it really raises a lot of interest. This story is packed with facts. I had no idea. Um, fuel consumption is packed. It's projected to drop 40% by 2050, and 30% more Ohioans are expected to drive electric vehicles in that time. So the gas tax revenue is supposed to plummet. They collected about 2.6 
billion dollars last year from the gas tax, which is 38.5 cents per gallon right now, went up uh, in 2019 when Mike DeWine pushed it up. Uh, and now it's 47 cents per gallon of diesel fuel. So the trucks are are spending a little bit more per gallon on the gas tax. And then they spent about $2 billion to fix up the road. Also, they're dealing with inflation like everything else, which... You, yeah, no, I mean, I, it, I feel like we say that all the time. Look, this Jim Renacci back when he was in Congress was talking about this that we have to come up with a fair way to generate revenue to do the roads, and the gas tax doesn't work because it's a per gallon thing and it just isn't generating it. I so this is it, it's all smart, but you've got to figure out a way. There's a privacy issue, you know. My late father would never get an easy pass because he didn't want the government knowing where he was driving. Mm-hmm. Well, this would be worse than that. This could yes. map your every movement, and mm-hmm. I don't think most people will be comfortable with that. You know, they could do a public records exemption so that the public couldn't get what you were getting where you're driving, but still, people and, and- will not like that. How are you going to get everybody driving through Ohio, right? If you don't live in Ohio, but you drive through, you drive to your job every day, or you're just driving to, you know, from Pennsylvania to Chicago or whatever it is, you're never going to be taxing those people. And I realize they might not buy gas in Ohio, but some people do. I, I just think well, that raises a lot of interesting. In questions. your beloved Canada, though, if you drive in certain places there, they get a picture of your license plate and they send you the bill. Well, I mean, that's like Easy Pass, right? Right. That's a, that's I mean, a, New York. You don't. You never get a ticket anymore. You never slow down. They just. If you don't have Easy Pass, they take a picture of. They send the bill. I think Pennsylvania is like that now too. Of course, Ohio, we're still in the ticket stage. I don't know if we'll ever get rid of it, but um, I. It just is. It's a fascinating concept that we talk a lot about how we're so car dependent, and you know, we talked. What was it last week or the week before about those mass transit developments and spokes into the the county and and. We, we really need to take a bigger look at how we develop, how we get places, and how we're going to pay for it. Now, look, the other thing you could do, really, is for people that register electric cars, add a tax to their electricity bill or, you know, at charging stations. There are other ways to get it the use that, that are not privacy invasions. It's just great that they're talking about it because the gas tax is dumb and it is going away. I, I just cannot see our legislature, our stuck in the mud, dinosaur-like Neanderthal legislature changing anything. After we passed the gas tax, which Mike DeWine made a very strong case for, they were trying to put it back. They were trying to reduce it. There was a big movement during the pandemic and all of the nutty proposals coming out of the state house to to take that money away, which would have doomed Ohio roads. So ODOT can come up with the greatest proposal ever. Do you think these dinosaurs, you think Matt Huffman and company are going to adopt that? <laughs> They think natural gas is green energy. They want to burn right. more gonna, gasoline. Exactly. They're going to be like, now gasoline, we're going to incentivize you to use it. I, that's a very good question. They think they're going to have this study done by <laughs> April. They're using federal grants to do it. That's not a long time to study such a big issue. So I don't know that we're going to have anything definitive. Great stuff. Good, good, good things to spark a discussion. I think lots of people will have opinions on it. If you have an opinion on it, let us know. I'm at cquinn at cleveland.com, and you are listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio sports gambling regulators are continuing their aggressive push to keep the industry honest and following all the rules. On Thursday, though, they issued an ultimatum to the betters. Lisa, why did they do that? 
The Ohio Casino Control Commission Executive Director Matt Schuler says he will ban anybody who threatens athletes if a bet didn't go their way. And this is all in reaction to a Tuesday press conference by University of Dayton basketball coach Anthony Grant. He criticized the effects of sports gambling on athletes, and we're not even a month into it. And he said, quote, when we have people who attack kids because of their own agenda, it sickens me. You're dealing with young people here. And so so apparently uh, they didn't offer any details or a specific incident, but they shared an article from the Dayton Daily News that described there was some online hate directed to players after they blew a 14-point halftime lead and then lost narrowly in a game earlier this week. Um, the There is a law on lifetime bans of, by the Casino Commission, but it doesn't focus on player threats or mention player threats, but uh, Schuler says they have discretion to ban people uh, along those lines. We did have one uh, GOP representative in the House, Brian Stewart of Pickaway County, says, well, this is a violation of spe- free speech and that the Casino Control Commission needs a, a refresher on the First Amendment. Well, there is a serious First Amendment issue. If I bet on a game, I haven't bet on anything, but if I bet on a game and in the final minute, the team collapsed and, and cost me money. And I went on to social media to say, damn this team. I can't believe what they did to me. I, I'm allowed to do that. that. There is nothing to stop me from doing that. And I, I do believe if the commission went after that, they would get into serious First Amendment jeopardy. But if I reached out to the player that blew it and said, I'm going to get you, then I could see where they would say, okay, you're not allowed to do that. But we've been voicing displeasure with sports teams, particularly in Cleveland, since the beginning of time, and you should still be able to do that. Well, without knowing the details of this particular case, I mean, it it may have been an individual overt threat to a player, which, yes, is First Amendment, but as I keep reminding people, First Amendment has consequences. So if there's an overt threat to a player, I would think that, you know, they're in their discretion to ban this person. Yeah. Although what if, what if all they did is say the coach should be fired kind of thing? I mean, we've all talked about whether Stefanski should still be the coach of the Browns and does that play into it? We'll have to watch very closely how they do. It's good to see the commission very clearly exerting its authority. This is a wild West industry, but I, I do worry because that's what we do in our business about the first amendment implications. Don't you think there's a difference between professional teams and college teams? Do you see them as different? Well, come on. We, we, are you kidding? The stuff people have said about Harbaugh and Michigan with, you know, there's a difference between coaches and athletes too. Though. Yeah. But people complain about the athletes as well. I mean, that that's part of the fan conversation is they complain about players. I just think you got to remember these are still kids. I mean, I know some of them are getting paid a lot of money, but that doesn't have any implication for the First Amendment. No, but if you're threatening people, I think it's the difference between a threat and just voicing your disgust with a team. That really boils down to. But I, I think that college college athletes are just as you know, we're allowed to criticize college teams just as we do the Browns. <laughs> and I guess, Layla, it's defining where that line is that yeah. will be the interesting mm-hmm. factor here. So another interesting story in our brand new. Are you ever going to be able to bet on high school games? Like I could see Ignatius St. Ed's betting, right? I, I, Maybe. I, you know, I, I hate to say it. I forget 
what the rules are on that. I, I, I don't believe you can, but I don't know. We'll have to check and come back. It's Today in Ohio. Chief politics writer Andrew Tobias publishes an analysis today of Derek Maron's continued work to control the Ohio House, even though he lost his battle to be speaker. He has placed all sorts of demands on the guy who beat him, Jason Stevens, that would weaken Stevens quite a bit. What is Marin demanding, Layla? Man, so the backstory here for those who are just now jumping onto this train is that it seemed Derek Marin was headed to become the next Ohio House Speaker after he had won the secret Republican vote in November. But then his fellow Republican, Jason Stevens, teamed up with Democrats and was able to get their support plus enough of the Republican votes to win. He totally beat Marin fair and square, but man, did that maneuver apparently rankle the pro-Marin Republicans because now Marin is regrouping with his allies and trying to portray himself as the true leader of the House Republicans. Mm. To that end, he is demanding that Stevens adopt a series of rules changes that would completely strip the Speaker's office of, of much of its power. That is, the power to decide which bills advance out of committee and what they look like. That is what makes this such a coveted position. Why would you give that up? So Marin is demanding that the rules strip Stevens of his ability to pick committee chairs and instead give that power to the full Republican caucus. Marin wants mm. other powers stripped from the speaker and handed to the caucus too. The power to pick conference committee members who reconcile competing versions of a bill between the House and Senate and the power to remove committee chairs or issue discipline. Marin also wants his entire four-person would-be leadership team appointed to the Rules Committee, which is the final stop for almost all the bills before they head to the House floor for a final vote. And he wants some pro-Marin Republicans appointed to Stevens's leadership team. He wants at least 70% of committee assignments and committee leadership positions to go to his Republican allies. I mean, if Stevens yields... Andrew tells us that would make Stevens just about the weakest Ohio House speaker in recent memory. And if this doesn't resolve soon, the House could experience a, a serious logjam of business. Approving the rules is the first step before getting to other basic legislative business. They have to do that before they set committees or appoint members to serve on them. And they've got stuff they need to get to. They don't have time for these games. They have to pass a state transportation budget in March and a general operating budget at the end of June. This is uh this is crazy. This this seems idiotic to me. I mean, he lost. He doesn't have the votes. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes, remember? And and overnight we did learn that Stevens appointed some members of his leadership team including a guy who seconded the nomination of Marin. So Marin's support may be dissolving. I just it's so strange to me. He lost. He doesn't have what it takes to force his will. So sending demand letters has no meaning. Why would Stevens agree to this at all? I would think this would hurt Barron with some of his supporters because he's acting like a right. That's exactly what I was thinking. And and he's also put some of his fellow Republicans into a really tight spot. The ones who voted for Stevens very begrudgingly teamed up with Democrats to do that. And they really don't want to have to do it again, especially after their own party censured them for voting with the Dems. And rebuking Marin's rules package could mean those Republicans have to hold their nose and vote with Democrats again. And uh, and I think that's exactly the, the, the tight spot he wants them to feel pinched in right now. 
But how does that advance right. his cause? He will have zero credibility in the House. Stevens is going to block him out. I mean, they have the votes. And and I don't think anybody wants to weaken the House Speaker, now, especially now, and put this into the hands of Marin, who is showing that he's a cuckoo bird. I mean, I, this just was a weird, weird set of demands. And it, it seems like a an unusual gamble. I know. This is just like the He's, worst examples lately of, of of politics in Ohio. It's so gross. Well, he's taking a page from the Kevin McCarthy congressional playbook. I mean, he's <laughs> it's crazy. But McCarthy had the votes. <laughs> it's, Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is going to help Marin. What a wacky period. It's almost like politicians have to have somebody to fight with. And now that they have a super majority, they have to fight with each other. It just, they can't just get things done. There always has to be an enemy. And we, we're seeing that factionalism arise. Good story by Andrew Tobias. Check it out. Laura, is it published yet or is it going up later? You know, I do believe it is up. Okay. If it's not, it will be soon. It's today in Ohio. Summit County has filed another suit against companies it blames for part of the opioid crisis. Who's in the jackpot this time around, Laura? They are looking at pharmacy benefit managers. This is something we haven't seen governments go after so far in the war on opioids. We've seen a lot of different lawsuits, some massive ones. But some of the county's lawsuits, which was filed in federal court in Akron this month, seeks damages against two of these companies, Express Script LLC and Optum. Optum RX and their subsidiaries. So, sorry, subsidiaries. So these benefit managers are typically hired by governments, insurers, or an employee employers to facilitate their prescription drug programs. They want to reduce the go- uh, cost for the insured. But what they're accused of doing is colluding with the manufacturers to make opioids more available for pain treatment and ignoring clear warning signs of addiction in patients, all to make more money. Which those are despicable claims, right? We know how bad the opioid epidemic is and how many communities were just devastated and families. And if someone was doing that just to make money, I mean, that's pretty horrible. Every time I think, though, that a government has pushed the edge and gone after somebody that that seems like it might be a little bit unfair, which you might be able to argue here, the, the governments win. I mean, I didn't think the the, the Lake County case against the pharmacy companies really had legs, but they won and they won big. So Mm -hmm. maybe they can do that in Summit. Maybe. I mean, they've already received $100 million in settlement money in lawsuits for opioids. And that money is going to all these costs associated with the spikes in opioid use, police and ambulance calls, programs for residents who are addicted to opioids, education, helping kids who are born addicted to opioids. And Summit County, which is not as big as Cuyahoga, they had about 1,200 overdoses related to opioids from 12, 2015 to 2021, and they had about 20 point, sorry, 21.5 million doses of opioids prescribed every year. Just like Cuyahoga, they were using mobile morgues to, to hold the bodies because they just had too many. Uh, uh, but, but think about this, right? The doctors prescribed it because <clears throat> they were in the pocket of the opioid companies. Mm-hmm. They were bad. The The... The makers of the drugs were pretty much buying off the doctors so they could sell lots more drugs. They they get blamed. 
the pharmacies processed the tri- the prescriptions and were ultimately held accountable because they should have known better. They were processing way too many of these prescriptions. Why didn't they raise the red flag? Okay, I, I, that's a little tougher. How do you go after these? What What is their real liability? What did they do wrong? Well, I have not seen the evidence in this case, but if they're working with the manufacturers to make opioids more available for the patients they're supposed to be protecting, that's that's a huge problem. So, so the evidence would have to show that the 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 pharmacy, the uh, makers of the drugs, were giving them inducements to to help them or something like that. Right. Okay. That they right that they're acting just like lawmakers acting, you know, in the best interest of business instead of their constituents. It's the same idea. All right. Well, if they can prove that, if they can prove that these guys were bought and paid for and they they contributed to it, then that's a good case. We'll be watching. It's Today in Ohio. Has a six-year battle over the bones of two holy leaders finally ended? Lisa, who was battling and who won and is it over? It's not over and nobody has won. There's maybe just a temporary victory. And I had to read this story about four times because there's so many lawsuits and accusations. Let me see if I can boil it down. So the latest activity was that the Eighth Appeals Court says that it has no jurisdiction in a six-year legal battle over two reliquaries that contain the bones of some of the church's uh, two holy leaders from the early 20th century. So this battle was between Tremont priest, the Reverend Robert Plishka of the uh, Byzantine Catholic Church there in Tremont, and by the Byzantine Catholic Eparchy of Parma Archbishop William Skurla. So the Catholic Eparchy covers 15 states, including Ohio. And so what happens is that this ruling by the appeals court upholds a verdict in July 2021 from a 2017 lawsuit in Cuyahoga Common Police Court that was filed by Archbishop Skurla seeking the return of the relics. He suspended Plishka, citing his being a defendant in this case. It's not over because Plishka who was ordered to return the relics, has filed to have the appeals court to reconsider their decision and said that they will appeal to the Ohio Supreme Court if necessary. So back in 2012, Plishka was appointed uh, to head the Byzantine Catholic Cultural Center at the Holy Ghost Church there in Tremont. It was closed by then Bishop John Kudrick, and then Plishka moved out of the rectory in 2016, and the relics came up missing at that time, along with some furniture and other stuff. But Plishka claims that the relics that were given to him personally by a donor and not to the church, so they belong to him. And then he filed a suit. So anyway, there are so many suits, I I don't want to get it more confused, but basically they're saying that Plishka should return the relics as a jury ruled, but he's saying, not so fast, I'm going to appeal. It's so bizarre. It's just one of those strangest stories. We're fighting over the bones of long dead people. Why? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just <laughs> all of this money and all of this time and courts wasting energy. It's just one of the strangest stories to be in the courts. That's why we're talking about it. You are listening to Today in Ohio. 
This probably should not be a surprise, but it is confirmation of what we suspected. Layla, what was the bad news for Larry Householder that came out yesterday as jury select or no jury selection begins today? today. Right. So in, in filings this week, federal prosecutors confirmed that both Jeff Longstreth, Householder's former political strategist, and Juan Caspedes, a former First Energy Solutions lobbyist, are going to testify at Householder's trial. Both of these guys pleaded guilty to a count of racketeering in 2020, several months after they were arrested uh, with Householder. And Caspedes worked as a lobbyist for First Energy Solutions, which was at the time a subsidiary of First Energy. But Longstreth worked for Householder as an advisor and strategist. He he ran the campaigns of the Republican candidates who would you know who Householder was lining up to to vote him in as House Speaker. Prosecutors say he was Householder's implementer and one of his closest advisors who operated several key financial accounts within the HB six bribery scheme. Longstreth and Caspedes will testify about their guilty pleas and agreements with the government. We don't really know much more than that about what prosecutors might ask them. But others have also received subpoenas, including Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, former Representative Kyle Kohler, former Representative Dave Greenspan, and former Senator Jay Hottinger. So jury selection starts today. But think about this. So First Energy, which was the supplier of the bribes, has pleaded yes. guilty. Two of the people in his circle have pleaded guilty to the whole scheme. I don't know how he has any hope of coming out of this trial without a, a, a conviction. I mean, all of the people involved, except him and, and Matt Borges, has said, yeah, this is all true. It all happened. Big bribery scheme, corruption scheme, and Larry Householder was the king of it. I I just, this is one like Jimmy DeMora. You should be making a plea, man. You should reduce the damage because if you go to the wall, the sentence is going to be that much right. longer. It takes some real hubris to, to get to this stage without trying to cut a deal but and to have your 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 main you know your implementer <laughs> testifying against you what are you what do you think are your chances now it seems like that the war defense no no it wasn't that and it's the way it was always done i i can't wait to see the testimony in this trial the opening statements come monday you're listening to today in ohio A terrifying crime spree in five cities across several months last year has resulted in a 90-count indictment against seven people. Laura, this is a, a frightening series of events. What happened? What are they accused of? Yeah, we're talking about five men, two boys, and accused of a whole list of things. I feel like Lisa here. Like, I'm not going to be able to talk about all of them. But they're accused of committing a home invasion in Cleveland's old Brooklyn neighborhood, shooting at a man after they carjacked him in Cleveland Heights in the Cedar Lee neighborhood, choking an 18-year-old woman, and pistol-whooping a man in the Clark Fulton neighborhood of Cleveland. So prosecutors say this group calls itself the Superior Boys and claims allegiance to the Heartless Felons Gang. And we all probably have heard of that and how dangerous it can be. The robberies are spanning from October 10th to December 19th and a whole host of cities. I just named a bunch of them. But for example, the Cedar Lee thing, Four men pulled guns on this man as he sat in a car, his car, outside an apartment building at Cedar and Lee Roads in Cleveland Heights. He tried to run away. One of the assailants chased him down, brought him back to the group. I mean, that's just kind of terrifying. That's a very busy, well-visited business The district. high school's right there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this was this was wanton gun violence by that went on for 
several months, right? It was October into December. October into December. And I don't really understand the link between all of the places and all of the crimes that they're accused of committing. Well, they're they're going to answer for it now. That's a lot of charges that are up against them. Mm-hmm. It's today in Ohio. The time was you could save yourself baggage fees by carrying on your bag instead of checking it at the airport. No more. Travel writer Susan Glazer wrote a shocker of a story about how much airlines are increasing their fees beyond what they charge for tickets. Lisa, I don't know why anybody flies anymore. What's going on here? Wow. And I haven't been on a plane since 2017 and how times have changed. But yeah, Susan Glaser uh, recently went to uh, Fort Myers, Florida, and she paid $118 for her ticket. But then she paid $112 for a carry-on bag. That's $56 each way. And she said, I'm a travel editor. I'm paid to pay attention to these things. And the the change completely surprised her. She said that two years ago, she paid $39 one way on Frontier Airlines for a carry-on bag. And that's a 44% increase over two years. Um, U.S. Airlines, United I mean, you know, United States Airlines, not United, got $5 billion in baggage fees in just the first three quarters of last year. That's up from $1.1 billion in 2008 when these fees started to become routine. So uh, in 2010, Spirit began charging for carry-on bags. And that was quickly adopted by other low-cost carriers, but bigger airlines created a whole new fare category that may not include a free carry-on bag. So, yeah. So Susan Glaser, had, had, she had some tips. She actually said fly Southwest because they don't ever charge for any baggage checked or carry-on. She said pack light. There's no charge for the one personal item that can go under your airplane seat. And I actually have packed like a weekend bag that fits under an airplane seat. And if you have a credit card that has like, a, you know, a perks for a free check bag, definitely use that credit card to pay. Uh, th- this was stunning. I-, I just could not believe the cost of it. A- and I know one of our retired colleagues who's, who has to travel to Florida a lot and does anything possible to drive instead of fly because of all the nightmares that we've talked about flying. One, Cleveland Airport's a dump. Two, that, that it's always rushed and you're getting through the, the lines. And now they're just dinging you every way they can. What, who wants to fly? We need rail. We talked about rail earlier this this week. We, this is more of a reason for it, right? Right. I mean, you don't have any luggage fees. And, and I've been on Amtrak a couple of times, no luggage fees there, and you can bring as much as you want. So yeah, I, I just can't believe that a carry-on bag fee would be $6 less than the ticket. That's just insane. Yeah, it's not well, and then you think of people like Layla and Laura. They've got kids that they have to do it with. I mean, so you'll go we broke. just bought tickets to San Diego for spring break, and so I was—we're actually flying Southwest there. I'm using some points, um, and and the free bag was a big incentive, right? I have a credit card for Southwest, and then my my husband is not happy with this, right? But I got the Frontier credit card so I could buy the Frontier flight to go home. And we're stopping over in Denver and we're thinking, okay, how many, we could pack one really big suitcase and and pack for all of us, right? And then one person can bring a carry-on and then you two have to carry your backpacks. And it becomes like a Jenga game of who's going to bring what suitcase and what you're going to put in it. It's like, can I fit a tennis racket in this, right? 
So I think there's a lot of people trying to figure out a way around this racket. Wow, that's not light packing. <laughs> Layla, I mean, that's not heavy, at least. Layla, you just don't fly, right? Yeah, no. Up. But uh, the, your tennis racket story reminds me of my husband, who like likes to bring a pizza oven on every vacation we go to. <laughs> I don't think we're going to fly anywhere soon. <laughs> carry on the pizza right. oven. <laughs> All right, check out Susan's story. It is a shocker. It is on Cleveland.com. That's it for today in Ohio for this week. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, everybody who listens. We'll be back Monday wrapping up some more news. 